Let us open the precious Word of God to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong unto us and to our children, that we may do all the words of this law. Amen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let me read to you the first verse of Titus chapter 2, and let's use that as our theme text. It's few in words, but heavy in its practical application to our lives. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Amen. We want to think today about things that become sound doctrine. The verb become in this kind of a use does not mean that things turn into sound doctrine, but rather the verb become means that there are things that are fitting or appropriate or agreeable with sound doctrine. Amen. And Paul is telling Titus to speak, to preach and to teach the things that are agreeable and fitting and beautifying and congruous with and for sound doctrine. It's a simple text. I'm thankful when the Bible tells me what to preach and I'm thankful when the Bible tells me how to preach it. Right. And Titus chapter 2 tells me what to preach and how to preach it. Amen. What to preach is found in verse 1 and then it's filled out in verses 2 through 14 and how to preach is found in verse 15. Right. What to preach is in verse 1. The things. Those duties in life that are fitting with sound doctrine. And how to preach it? Verse 15 these things speak. See, there's that verb speak for Paul, for Timothy, or Titus, the preacher, that was also used in verse 1. These things speak, same things. The word things is used there in verse 15 as it was in verse 1. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Amen. Let no man despise thee. Right. I don't care what you think. Amen. That's nothing new. I don't care what your habits are. I don't care what your mama did. I don't care what your mama taught you. I don't care what your granny did or what she taught you. I don't care what you've heard preached before. I don't care what you've done for 40 years. I don't care what you think is right. I don't care what you think is good. And I don't care about any of those things from myself either. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. So let's all be liars this morning and realize that we've been lied to all our lives by preachers, parents, teachers, and others. And let's humble ourselves before the Word of God and see how we can learn things that become sound doctrine. We want the things that become sound doctrine. And this is a very practical subject. When the Apostle Paul tells a minister what to preach, and you read the book of Titus, there's nothing, metaf- there's nothing mystical. There's nothing what is called, considered spiritual by a lot of people. It is very, very practical. Right. We're going to see that in just a moment. You read it last evening, many of you, and you already know what's here in this chapter. 
We've just completed a study of Ecclesiastes, where we learned the whole duty of man. But let's today learn a few more reasons why we want to fear God and keep His commandments. Solomon said it's the conclusion of the whole matter of what your purpose for life is under the sun. Solomon said it's the whole duty of man before God to fear Him and keep His commandments. But as you have already gathered from what passages we've read and what has been said, when you fear God and keep His commandments, you can bring glory to God. You can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You can beautify it. You can encase it in gold. The doctrine of God our Savior. You can shut the mouths of gainsayers. You can shame the enemies of the gospel. You can provoke the hearts of saints to live better lives. You can cause gladness to be in the hearts of believers because of your righteous life. Listen, brethren. The Bible says that when you take care of a widow and make a widow's heart to sing, there's a God in heaven that hears it and He blesses you. That's a triangle that I love. That's a triangle you should love. And it's a triangle we're going to multiply a thousand times today if God will bless us. When you do something to cause the heart of a widow to sing, God gets the glory. And God will bless the one that caused the heart of the widow to sing. We want to see that many different ways. We want to speak the things which become sound doctrine. Today, in our country, there's little said about things that become sound doctrine. There's much talk about things that will make you happy. And things that might bring prosperity. But we want to preach sound doctrine. The Bible told us that the day will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But we want to preach the things that become, that adorn, that fit, that are agreeable with, that are congruous with, that are appropriate for sound doctrine. The word but starts off this text and it's connecting us to the last seven verses of chapter 1 where the apostle there had to tell Titus, I've left you in Crete and there's some problems in Crete. We have some false teachers that are wandering about. They're deceivers, especially of the Jews, whose mouths have to be stopped because they're teaching things which they ought not for the sake of money. That's verses 10 and 11. Then in verses 12 and 13, he gives them a warning that the Cretans as a nationality were a bunch of lazy, lying, worthless people in general. You know, people say you shouldn't make generalizations. Why not? Generalizations are generally true. That's why they're a generalization. And here's one. The Cretans were, according to their own people, always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. They were malicious, they were liars, and they were lazy. And Paul said, this witness is true. Their own witness about themselves is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Oh, I thought the faith was just saying the Apostles' Creed. I thought the the faith was just signing a church covenant. Oh, no. The faith is we never lie. The faith is we are not evil beasts. We are kind and gentle. The faith is we're not slow bellies. We're diligent workers. That's the faith. Do you hear me today? Rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply. I know sometimes you may think I'm too sharp. There's too much rebuking. I'm accused of arrogance. It has nothing to do with arrogance. I tremble before these words like you ought to tremble before them. I know where they find things wanting in my life, and I want to change my life to fit them. That is an arrogance. It's humility. 
But the last thing I'm ever going to do is apologize for the Word of God Amen. or deliver it in some milquetoast effeminate fashion to you like everyone else wants to do. Right. Shoot me if I ever do that. Amen. Force me out of here. Run me out of town on a rail. If I ever compromise the Word of God and do not deliver it the way it ought to be delivered, when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ one second later, you'll wish I'd been harder. I promise you that on the authority of His Word. When John, His beloved disciple, fell at His feet as dead with one view of Him in glory, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You never laid three and a half years in the bosom of Jesus Christ, and John did, and he fell at His feet as dead. And when you meet him, you'll fall at his feet as dead. And you'll wish I'd warned you about the seriousness of serving Jesus Christ. I'm trying to do that today. Rebuke them sharply. Then in verses 14 through 16, he goes after Jewish fables and false teachers again and false professors who do not have the lives that back up their profession that they were believers in the God of heaven. He says in verse 16, they profess that they know God. And everyone in here professes that they know God. But in works, they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work, reprobate. Those are strong, that's strong language. That's why I preach the way I do. It's just the Bible way. I don't know any other way to preach. And I hope I never learn one. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not special for it. It's the Bible is special. Amen. The Bible is wonderful. These kind of verses are not preached the way they should be preached today in 99.9% of all pulpits. They should be thundered from the pulpit and God's people should be brought to bear to face these things and to measure their lives by them. Those are the three real problems that were in Crete. False, profe- false teachers, Cretans with bad habits, and false professors. And so we come to the first verse of chapter 2 where it says, But in contrast to those false teachers, in contrast to those lazy, evil beasts, always lying Cretans, In contrast to those people who profess they know God, especially the Jews, but deny Him by their works, speak thou something very different. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Instead of their teaching, instead of their lives that are abominable, and to every good work reprobate, Titus, get busy in Crete and teach all the things that become, that adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We've celebrated Thanksgiving, and we have tried to glorify and magnify God with Thanksgiving because He's told us that is something that glorifies and magnifies Him. We have had preached to you a few days ago that giving of thanks from your lips brings glory to God. But today, we're leaving your lips, for the most part. They'll be mentioned because they're part of your life. However, it is your life that can bring glory to God in a great way. And you've had that mentioned to you today. You've had that illustrated by several passages of Scripture. And I hope you're excited about it. And I appreciate the excitement of the men that got in this pulpit to read the Word of God to you. Could you tell that they were, they were privileged to be here and that they wanted to read you the Bible? I had to hold them back. And I love that enthusiasm for God's Word. May He show us the things in our lives where we can glorify Him more. Not with our mouths. With the hearts and mouths of others. Let your light so shine before men that they may behold your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus, before He went to the cross in John 12, said, Glorify thyself. Do you know what He meant? Use me. I offer myself, and he was offered as a sacrifice in the cross of Calvary. 
But what an exciting opportunity to bring glory to God, to encourage the hearts of believers, to provoke them to more righteousness, to contend with the wicked in this world by living righteousness, to shut the mouths of gainsayers by showing that the truth works, to shame our enemies because they have nothing evil to say of us because we are living a holy and pure life. Those are a lot of benefits. And guess what? It's not listed. You're going to be the happiest you can be on earth. That is win, 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 win. There's no downside to that. The downside is if you hear me today, and I hear me today, and we walk out of here and don't make any changes. Lord, save us. We're a doctrinal church. We emphasize doctrine. People come in here and... They don't want to be here because there's too much doctrine. We care too much about doctrine. But I want to say something to you, brethren. It would be much better for us to live up to less doctrine than to have more. I believe that with all my heart. It would be better to live up to less than to have more and not live up to it. We're going to receive the greater condemnation for having that greater benefit and not living up to it. I want to be... A church that becomes sound doctrine, that adorns sound doctrine, that is fitting with sound doctrine, that is appropriate for sound doctrine, that is agreeable with sound doctrine. And that everything we do and say in the lives at at home and the lives in here are congruous with sound doctrine. That's what's important. The text, Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But speak thou. Titus, don't be like those false teachers in verses 10 and 11 of what I just wrote you. Don't be like those Christians and their bad habits that I just wrote you. Don't be like those false professors that deny their profession by their works that I just wrote you. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Speak those duties that are agreeable with sound doctrine. And he goes ahead and, and tells Titus what they are. And that's helpful. Very helpful. And I'm going to do it with all authority. And I'm going to step on your toes as much as I can. I'm going to get right inside your home if I can. I'm going to irritate you just like I'm irritated before I ever got here. And may the Lord put some salve on our wounds. And if you've blown it, we've all blown it. So let me just get the if out of there. Because you've blown it, let's ask the Lord to forgive us where we've blown it. And let's ask Him to restore the lost years of the canker worm and give us a renewed opportunity to bring glory to Him through our lives. And let's let our light shine. Let's go out of here where people see a dramatic difference between us and others and they want to ask a reason of the hope that is within you. You know, you, you read that text and you wonder, I've never been asked the reason of the hope that is within me. Well, there's probably a good reason. You don't look very hopeful. Hope changes people's lives. A Christian should never be hopeless. A Christian's only hopeless when they're in the flesh. There's so much hope for a Christian. And it's right in this text. It's in verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That ought to change your life. First of all, he goes after the aged men. I'm not going to take time here because we've got a whole lot of verses to cover to make sure I get all of you, but let's get the old men. If you're 50 years of age or older, let's call you aged for today. Okay? Oh. Uh, aged men. That the aged men be sober. Serious about life. Let's make it as simple as possible. That the aged men be sober. They're serious about life. 
grave, dignified in the way they carry themselves, important in the house of God and their roles in families, temperate, self-disciplined, not letting anything get a hold of them, ruling their lives and ruling their spirits and not letting their circumstances rule them, sound in faith, that is, according to the faith of God's Word. Sound in faith, not wandering about in false doctrine or confusion. In charity, they're sound in charity. They're men that are known for their love and service of others. In patience, that they're able to endure difficulties and afflictions without complaining. These things become sound doctrine. This is so practical. Amen. We are a doctrinal church. We try to dot our I's and cross our T's. We worry about the identity of the sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We worry about the five phases of salvation and rightly dividing every word of God. We worry about the various Israels that are taught in the Bible. We, we look at the arguments that are in the Bible based on individual words. But brethren, above that, beyond that, let us make sure that we live up to the doctrine that we have. And this doctrine that's going to be mentioned here is more of a practical nature than it is a theological nature. We already know who God is. Come on, that's the first principle of righteousness. How does God want us to live? And He wants old men to be serious, dignified, self-disciplined, right in their beliefs, loving in their charity, and enduring in their patience. And I don't have, I'm not going to elaborate on these or I'll get nowhere today. So, old men, God is addressing you. This is what He wants you to do. It's these things that are agreeable with sound doctrine for men of your age. So you should be a dignified, serious man that holds the faith and truth of God's gospel close at hand. You love others. You are self-disciplined. And you endure afflictions. Nothing rules you. You rule your circumstances. You give us an example of a man that every day is a consistent Christian in faith. Self-discipline, love, and dignity. The aged women. You women, 50 years of age and over. Wife, you're lucky. Every woman in here that's 50 years of age and over. The aged women, likewise. You know, we get this likewise word that connects these different categories of Christians that the Lord addresses. I hope you saw that in 1 Peter chapter 3. It starts out with likewise in verse 1 when it addresses husbands after having addressed wives in 1 Peter chapter 2. But like the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior. See, this is talking about how we behave, how we conduct ourselves. I love that song we sang when it mentioned our conduct should show the Lord Jesus Christ. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. There's that verb become again. That is fitting with a holy life. That is fitting with the holy women of the Bible. Like a Sarah, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, 5 and 6. The holy women that are mentioned in the Bible as being great women. The Ruths, the Hannahs. That should be your goal, to live a life like them. And to have a life that becometh holiness. The behavior in your life should be agreeable with the holy women of the Old Testament. Your conduct should agree with the holy standards of God. Not false accusers. Old ladies. 
can sometimes yap too much. If you are a godly woman, you have very little time to be on the telephone or to be on the internet or to be texting or to be sending emails. There are too many things God wants you to be doing instead of that or those things. It is when a woman is idle that she starts to say things that she ought not. That's 1 Timothy 5, 13 and 14 and will be there. Because it's what brings blasphemy upon the religion of God when women yap too much. The, the way to save yourself from being a false accuser is to stop talking. It's hard to be a false accuser when you're not talking. So cut down the number of emails, phone conversations, and if you're on the phone, limit it to three minutes. Limit it to five minutes. I promise you, there's nothing in the next month that's more important that needs more than five minutes. I promise you. Get one of those phones that tells you how many seconds you've been on it. I'm serious about this. The Bible tells me that women get in trouble by saying things which they ought not. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. And it's because of idleness. Listen, if you don't know what you ought to do next, write me a short email. Say, I don't know what to do next. I'll write you back 20 or 30 things that a good woman would be doing from Proverbs chapter 31. And it'll take up the rest of your life. I'll help you. Not false accusers. You know, a woman can get in the phone and start talking pretty soon. She, you, you know, you women, I know, I know, I'm going to get to everybody. Don't worry. I'm going to get to the old men, the young men too. I'm going to get to me. But I know you read the words false accusers and say, I wouldn't accuse anyone falsely. Pretty soon when you get in the phone, you're talking a little bit, you start accusing your own husband. You're not supposed to be accusing your husband. You're supposed to be reverencing him. You'll start accusing what someone else did because you've got to make up conversation. Cut it. Get back to work. Start ironing all your permanent press clothes. But get off the phone. Get off the email. Didn't say you couldn't email. I just said it ought to be brief and to the point because you've got a lot to do if you're going to be a godly woman. And we're talking about the aged women, those 50 and over. Not given to much wine. Thankfully, I don't believe we have any in here given to much wine. But there's the warning. They're to be temperate when it comes to wine. Maybe the women that Titus had to deal with in the island of Crete were kind of discouraged about their lives. If they were married to evil beasts, slow bellies, and always liars, I'd be discouraged. And maybe they went to the bottle more than they should. But the warning is they should be temperate when it comes to alcohol. Teachers of good things. Oh, now this one, this one's going to get... You know, you've been grinning. I don't get drunk. I don't falsely accuse. Okay. Teachers of good things. An older woman is to be a teacher. She is not a teacher in the pulpit. She's a teacher out of the pulpit. She goes after the younger women and teaches them good things. She sees them cast down and hopeless, and she rebukes them for their devilishness. She sees them not loving their husbands. She sees a woman that doesn't show joy toward her husband and is not doting on him. And the women over 50 are teachers of good things. They go and say something about that. Don't let this verse escape you. If a church were to ever practice what the Bible says, it would blow the minds of the entire world at what good can come out of one local church if they would do what the Bible says. 
Every woman over 50, and I've simply picked that for the purpose of today. I don't care if you make it 60, but don't make it 60 if you are between 50 and 60. Because I know what your motive was. If you're an aged woman, you should be looking around for women and teaching them good things. Teachers of good things. If you see a marriage that seems to be suffering, go after that young woman. Tell her, sister, you do not understand how fast and fleeting life is. You do not understand that the neglect you're showing towards your husband puts bitterness in his heart, and that's the reason your marriage is so unhappy. Sister, you're supposed to be like the Shulamite in the Song of Solomon. Sister, he's supposed to be ravished with your love. Are you loving him? Sister, you're supposed to be reverencing him. When was the last time you pinched his behind, sister? Do something. You say you shouldn't say that in the pulpit. Well, I'm trying to help you. Your minds are thick. My mind is thick. I want to talk about doting wives, because you better be a doting wife. If you're not a doting wife, the shame you bring to the gospel, and the disgrace you put on the the, the Word of God, and the discouragement that you put in your children's hearts, is your fault. Because Christianity is a wonderful religion. And I'll tell you this, I have a holy woman that I like in the Bible. And she pinched behinds of her, the behind of her husband. And her name was Rebecca. Because when King Abimelech looked out the window, he saw Isaac and Rebecca sporting in the field, and he knew that they were married. So there. If you need a there. I hope you don't need a there. Women here, old-aged women, oh, Lord. If you held back the sun in Joshua's day, hold back the minute hand in mine for just a few minutes. Teachers of good things. What if every woman over 50 became a teacher of good things in every church? Going after the young women and telling them, whenever they spotted something that they weren't, we're we're about to get the list, the the good things that are to be taught by the older women, it's coming up right now. But what a blessing it would be. This is the way a church should function. These are the things that become sound doctrine. This is when an older woman is worth something. Do you know what they do with older women in most churches? I'm going to tell you. Here we go. Sing in the choir. Is that in Titus 2? Nope. Teach Sunday school class. In Titus 2? Nope. It tells them who to teach. Oh, let's see. Let them play the piano and the organ. Is that in Titus 2? Those are the things they do with the aged women. They let them fix the potluck dinners. Oh, how useful. Oh, how precious. Thank you very much. Thank you for your cherry pie, sister. Yes, I'm going to ridicule cherry pie. It's ridiculous. In comparison to this list of things right here, fixing cherry pie for a potluck dinner is absolutely worthless. Vanity and vexation of spirit. You had the vexation of spirit in your kitchen, and we have the vanity of eating it and gaining pounds from it. When instead you could be exhorting in the other direction by grabbing some young woman and exhorting her to get into an exercise program so that she's more fit for her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Look what they do with aged women in in churches today compared to what the word of God says. Holy women. You don't get holy by singing in the choir. You get holy by having behavior, conduct, actions 
that is holy. Let's go to what those women are to teach. Verse 4, that they may teach. And see, I'm so thankful when the Bible is so plain. It tells me what to teach, and it tells women what to teach. That they may teach the young women to be sober. It doesn't say the girls. The young women that have husbands, that have children, or that are approaching that. That they may teach the young women. Now, young women, this is your conduct. This is your life that becomes, that is agreeable with, appropriate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you would do these things well, the sky is the limit on the effect you can have. Right. Never, res- never resent or regret the fact that you're not a man so that you could preach. You can convey more truth through your life with more power than much of the preached word. The Bible says that a woman who conducts herself right can convert her unconverted husband without using the Word of God. Do you know what a typical woman who's married to an unbeliever wants to do? Leave the Bible open on his nightstand to some verse that she's highlighted. Put a track under his pillow. Put a track in his lunch. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says, while they behold... I love... Do you love every word of God? Yes. Every word of God? Right. It says, wow, what did, excuse me, i got to chase a little rabbit. This brother up here read a passage from Galatians chapter 1. Did the churches of Judea get to meet Paul? No. Did the churches of Judea get to hear Paul preach? No. Did the churches of Judea read any theological books by Paul? No. All they had was, they had heard about his changed life. They had heard that he which persecuted the church now preached the gospel which he once persecuted and they glorified God in me. That's what it takes. That's what it's of benefit. That's useful. You can have a great effect with your life. That they may teach the young women to be sober. Young women, don't be foolish. Don't be jesting. Don't be, don't engage in foolish talking. Don't be giggling. You know, a giggling woman, listen, listen, a giggling woman is one of the ugliest things there is. Amen. I, I, we all know why you giggle, because you're nervous. Because you have a bad habit, and because you didn't have good parents. If you had good parents, you wouldn't giggle. Because your daddy would have beat you every time you did it. Mm-hmm. After he warned you the first two times. Giggling is stupid. There's an animal in Africa that giggles. And cackles. It's the hyena. Don't giggle. Giggling is described in the book of Ecclesiastes and foolish talking like that as the crackling of thorns in a fire. They give off a lot of noise and light, but there's no heat. They can't cook anything. And I didn't mean that as a pun. Don't giggle. The Bible warns against foolish talking. So it says to be sober. Be serious about life, because life is serious. To love their husbands. Aged women should teach young women to love their husbands. Are the older women in this church going after the younger women in this church to love their husbands? Are you loving your husband the way you should right now, sister? Is he going to thank the God of heaven before the sun sets today that he created a woman? What? You know, our young women would just fall apart if you walked up to them and said that. No, they wouldn't. They'd, they'd appreciate it. Do you hear that? Sister, is your husband going to thank the God of heaven for creating the woman? Before the sun sets today. Teach them to love their husbands. To love them by reverencing them. To never defrauding them. To doting on them. To loving them like the Shulamite loved her husband in the Song of Solomon. 
to, to love their husbands. So much could be said about that. Your husband is what you were created for. You were not created for your children. You were not created for a job. You were created for your husband. God did not see Adam and say, I need to make a baby factory for him. He said, I need to make him a companion. The baby factory is something you both get to have pleasure in. And I don't mean that in any disrespectful way at all. I just want you to remember what your priorities are and the aged women ought to teach the younger women that's the most important role you have in life as your husband and don't let those children take it away. Notice what comes first. It's not to love their children, it's to love their husbands. And when a woman loves her children too much, it's stolen from her husband. And yes, you can love your children too much when it interferes with your love of your husband. If you're worried all the time about doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that for your children, I know who's suffering. Your husband is being doted on like he should be. These are the things that become sound doctrine. This is what Titus was to unload in the island of Crete. This is what I'm supposed to unload. Right. I'm getting toward me. Listen, you don't have two verses. I have two verses that are directed to me. To me, to me, to me. And I don't like them. But I want to humble myself before them and do them just like I hope you want to do the ones that address your, your life. Right. To love their husbands. When was the last time you wrote your husband a note? When was the last time you pinched your husband? When was the last time you did something really bold with your husband? You say, oh, it's just not me. We know, that's why I'm preaching. What? Yeah, I understand. It's just not you. I want to make you anew. And the Lord wants to make you anew. He wants to change you. Right. You know, when was the last time your husband went out to the parking lot for lunchtime and got in his car and found a piece of your underclothing with a little note saying, I'm waiting for you at home and I don't have this on. You say, oh, that's so brazen. Have you ever read the Song of Solomon? I haven't got anywhere yet. I have a great deal of modesty. I haven't said 1,001 things that I could say and that I do say in private. Don't, don't divert your attention from where it ought to be. And that is what kind of a way for you to love your husbands. Now look, we got two things here. The young women are to learn to love their husbands, and so they should be doing this. And the aged women who have done it for many years are telling the young women to do it, to love their husbands. Isn't that a wonderful church when all the women were doing that? I have heard a testimony from a man this week that said, to come into your church and watch the way that the women treat their husbands for the most part makes a man want to be married. Praise the God of heaven. That is exciting to hear. But you know, we all know something. We can do better. We can do a lot better. We can have men crying out, I do! I do! Where are you? We can do better. To love their children. You know, to love their children the way the Bible says to love your children. 
If you love your child, what are you going to do to them? Discipline them. You're going to teach them the fear of the Lord. You're going to pray with them. So you're going to be exhorting them toward things like that rather than birthday cakes. You're going to exhort them to love their children the way the Bible describes loving a child. The way Hannah loved Samuel. So that when he was a young little lad and taken to Shiloh, he worshipped the Lord there. He was taught to worship God. To, to, to sit on the bed and talk with your children. To have a relationship with them where they will open up to their mother. Instead of being a critical, overbearing, are your homework done? Have you taken out the trash? Is your bed made? Will you help me do the dishes? Those things have their place. But do you know how to sit on the bed and talk to your child and listen to your child more than talk to your child so that you get to know them and they can open up to you and tell you their hopes and fears and difficulties in life? To love their children. All the things that we've taught for many years in couples retreats and from this pulpit and what the Bible teaches us. To be discreet. That means to think before you speak. To be very careful before you do anything to make sure you think about how this is going to be perceived by others. God, others, do not care what you think about your actions. God and others do not think or care about what you think about your actions. Discreet means to stop and slow down and to think about an action before you do it to make sure that it fits with God's Word and with social decorum and what other people want. Other people don't want what you want. That's why you're you. That's why you're, you're, you're snowflake and other people are different. It means to be discreet. To say or do something in its appropriate place at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. It's prudent. It's wisdom. It's understanding. To be chaste. Pure, virgin, loyal, dedicated to your own husband only. Keepers at home, not wandering about and idle, going from house to house and saying things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. That is the sense of these words. If it's not the sense of these words, then every woman in this assembly is sinning right now because she's not at home. The sense of these words is interpreted by Paul writing the other minister in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, when he says that when a woman is idle, then she wanders about from house to house, gets into trouble, and says things which she ought not. And so he goes on to say, what's the cure for that? Get her married, get her to have kids, and let her guide the house. That will keep her out of that difficulty out of that temptation and that trouble. That's what the sense is here. Keepers at home. Is your home being kept up? Are you the domestic queen that you should be? Is everything your husband needs in the home taken care of? Is everything your children need in the home taken care of? Do you avoid getting on the phone? Do you avoid going driving around? Do you avoid going shopping? If there's anything at home that needs to be done. Good. What a word. What a little word. Good. The aged women ought to teach the younger women, and the younger women should be good. Everything they do is good. They cook good. They clean good. They look good. They speak good. They're good women. Obedient to their own husbands. Look, at it's mentioned again about marriage. Obedient to their own husbands. Submissive and reverencing their husbands. This is the word of the Lord. I've mentioned this to you before, when Princess Diana, she's not much of a princess, you know what she is, but I'm not going to rail on her here because the Bible says not to despise dignities, but you know that she was involved in fornication and whoredom like hardly any other that's ever had a position of importance in the nation of England for a long time. 
But anyway, when she was married to Prince Charles, I remember that that marriage vow from the Church of England had to be doctored up so that she would say it, and out of it were taken the words, Obey Him. Have you all been to marriage ceremonies where they have the words, Obey Him, in the, uh, the vows? Taken out. But you know, part of, the, part of the things that become sound doctrine, and part of the things we have to teach in this church, and we want to teach in this church, are the women are to obey their husbands. They are to submit to their husbands in everything. Except for sin. When he tells you to go out in the backyard and pray to Buddha, then you can say, I can't do that, because the Word of God won't allow me. But until he does that, submit yourselves to your own husbands in everything. That the Word of God be not blasphemed. That the Word of God be not blasphemed. If a young woman doesn't do these things, and if the aged women don't help the young women do these things, it can end up with the Word of God being blasphemed by seeing odious, rebellious, insubordinate, unloving women. Do you know where that kind of terminology comes from? That's the terminology Nathan used against David when he said, I'm going to kill the little love child that you and Bathsheba have had because you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Does that get your attention? Adultery and murder resulted in the enemies of God blaspheming the religion of God. And when a woman doesn't do these things, it results in God's religion being blasphemed. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Because anyone that knows the Bible knows that a woman should be submissive. A woman should be loving. That the Bible is very... Anybody that knows the Bible knows that. And when a woman doesn't do those things, it gives occasion for the word of God to be blasphemed. The word of God isn't important to them. The word of God doesn't work. I haven't met a Christian yet that really lives up to the Bible. I read the Bible once. But what I read about a way a woman should treat a husband, I've hardly ever seen it. Those words come out of people's mouths often, and they should never come out of a mouth about this church. Not for our praise and glory. Remember, we have one theme today. For the glory of God, and for the glory of His Word, that the Bible works. And while I'm thankful for the testimony that I heard this very week, I want to hear more like that. I want the Lord to hear more like that. The Lord's honored when, when, the, we hear, when He hears things like that. That the Word of God be not blasphemed. This is my point today. Your life and the things you do right down to loving your husband, loving your children, guarding your speech, being temperate, not drinking too much, not being on the phone too much, all those things can keep the Word of God from being blasphemed. It's not you going home and memorizing Scripture so that you can refute somebody that says something against our doctrine. I don't... You know, the Lord doesn't care if you do a little bit of that. But the the thrust of the New Testament is that you live in such a way. No no offense, brother. And it may be my fault. Oh. Sorry. It It shouldn't matter to you a bit. I won't go any further. Trust me. Titus chapter 2, the things that become sound doctrine. Aged, aged men, aged women, young women. Now you young men, Anthony, Stephen, Adam, Mark, Matthew, where are you guys? Matthew, Jonathan, Joel, Luke, Austin, Alex, Daniel, Michael, David, Keith, Joshua, David, Michael, Mark, and the rest of you, 
Young men only have one assignment. Just one. Because the Lord knew it's going to take all your effort, all your ability to be able to do this one thing. Young men, likewise, just like the aged men, just like the aged women, just like the young women, young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. Jonathan, thank you for being a sober-minded young man. Joy to my heart. Don't get embarrassed. You thank the God of heaven. You always were a sober young man. God hates foolish young men. A young man has more potential and and can do more good for his kingdom and his glory than any other sect, any other sex, the other sex, or any other position because the future is in front of you and if you were to give yourself to the service of God and righteousness, you can do so many great things. And he wants you to be sober-minded. Serious about life. Serious about His Word. Serious about obeying your parents. Serious about schoolwork. Serious about working. Serious about getting up and keeping your room clean. Serious about taking out the trash and doing it the right way. Serious about everything that's assigned to you in life. But most of all, serious about fearing God and keeping His commandments. This is what the Lord wants you to do. He does not want you joking, jesting, foolish, talking, cutting, sarcastic remarks, and all the things that young men do for all the time. These are the things that become sound doctrine of our young men. They look good when they come in here. You look good. I love the way you guys dress for our assemblies. However, that's just an outward show compared to guarding your speech. You're going to be together tonight. And when you put a group of young men together, it degenerates to the common denominator. You know what the common denominator is of young men? Foolishness. The Lord doesn't care about joking and jesting. That isn't happiness. That's stupidity. Telling jokes is not being happy. Telling jokes is not being joyful. Telling jokes is being stupid. And saying, all that I have in my brain, mind, soul, and heart is a stupid joke. God hates it. Be sober-minded. Life is serious. And if you would get serious when you're young, the greatness that you can achieve in this world is unbelievable. But if you are foolish and follow the crowd and joke and jest around with them, you're, gonna, you're not going to amount to anything. Because average is amounting to nothing. We're not talking about anything being average today. We're talking about being an exception for the grace and glory of God. And for the doctrine of Jesus Christ. I was a foolish young man. I hate myself. If I could go back, I'd break my arms. I was a foolish young man. I know what I'm talking about. Were we, brother? Yes. The Jonathan of 40 years ago would not want to meet the Jonathan of today. I'd tear him to pieces. Young men, like, I love every one of you young men. Do you know what I just said about you? Your futures? I want you to outstrip all of us. Listen, it'd be so easy to outstrip me because I wasted so many years being a foolish young man. I want you to do that. I want you to be great in the sight of God and the sight of men. One thing God wants of you because He knows what the greatest temptation is for you to be foolish. Worried more about sports. You know how foolish that is? You know how unsober minded that is? Worried about sports. You know, when I find a young man that can quote me statistics about cars, statistics about motorcycles, statistics about sports, I know I've found an idiot. He should be quoting scripture. 
axioms of geometry and calculus, physics, rules of the English language, and going someplace with his life. If you want to play a little b-ball, round ball, oblong ball, little ball, shiny ball, once in a while, go ahead and do it. But just remember when you do it, you're proving that you're a boy. Because there's serious things you need to get into that you can be great at. Then earn yourself some time to play later when you can figure out how to play. Sober-minded. You know what I'm talking about. You know the, listen, when you go to school or you meet anybody on the block, or you meet anybody, you meet your cousins, you meet anybody that hasn't been taught the Word of God properly, what do they talk about? Movies, cars, motorcycles, sports, music, um, Girls, of course. Um, that's not being sober-minded. How about encouraging each other, you know, in the fear of God and keeping His commandments and loving the saints and serving the church and obeying your parents and finding a transferable skill and throwing your heart and mind into it to be the best? Amen. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Those are the things. Then Paul gets me in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Wherever I have not been a pattern of good works in all things, God forgive me, and you good people please forgive me. I want to show myself a pattern of good works, so that you can see it and follow it. In doctrine I want to be uncorrupt, Grave and sincere about the doctrine of God's word. I want to have sound speech. And because I may be a little salty in your opinion at times, that is sound speech. And if you don't know that, go to our website and find the sermons called Instant Preaching and Rude Preachers and find yourself a couple hundred examples of how men in the Bible preached. I am incredibly modest compared to Ezekiel and other prophets of God. And if you don't know that, come to me after the assembly. I'll help you out. And you'll say, thank you, brother, for being so reserved in the pulpit. This sound speech here is saying things that are wrong, according to God's word. I don't want to do that. Next, we go to employees. Who in here has a job of any sort? Raise your hand. Show me. Okay, this is for you. You say, you already got me. Well, this is another part of your life. Here we go. Look at verses 9 and 10. Exhort servants. And how am I supposed to exhort? With what kind of authority? All authority. Is it my authority? No. Whose authority is it? The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the high king of heaven. He is the blessed and only potentate. He is our Lord and master. He is the master above our masters. He is the king above our kings. He is the father above our fathers. It's His authority with which I speak and tell you this is what He wants you to do on the job. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. Obey your boss. When He tells you to do something, do it. 
and to please them. Do what they want, even beyond what they say. Do you know that in today's world, a boss will not tell you everything he would like you to do sometimes because he knows that most employees rebel against it. So you need to figure out what he would really be pleased with and go that extra mile to please your master well. It says to please them well in all things. Even the assignments that they give you that you don't like. This becomes sound doctrine. These are the things that make Christians different. These are the things that bring glory to God in heaven. These are the things that magnify the Word of God. Look at the employee he is. You are the most dedicated employee in this company. What makes you like this? Oh, brethren, when you hear those words, God has brought you someone whose heart may be open to the things of God. And he's open to it because of your performance on the job. This is sound doc- This is sound doctrine and the things that become it, that are agreeable with it. This is not stuffy theology. This is day-to-day where the rubber meets the road practical Christianity. Exhort servants to be obedient. I'm exhorting you. Tomorrow when you go to work, hit the ground running. Salute. Yes, sir. I'll be happy to, sir. And then go the extra mile. Go beyond what he asked you for. Do it better than he suggested. Please them well in all things, not answering again. Don't give your boss a butt. Who do you think you are? The reason he's the boss is because you're not smart enough to say but. If you were smart enough to say but, they would have already promoted you to be his boss. Not answering again. You say you're too strict. I'm too strict. Take it up with the Lord. Go home. Get down. Read this passage in the fear of God and in the Holy Ghost. And then tell the Lord that he's too strict. I'm just exhorting you what sound doctrine is. And it means to go to work and say, yes, sir. Not answering again. No buts. No what? No, but can't, she isn't doing anything. Or he isn't doing anything. All the answers that pop up in our hearts. This is thorough employment. In two, there's no book that's ever been written with the power of the King James Bible. Listen, do we have one sentence here in 9 and 10? This one sentence in 9 and 10 is such a thorough work manual on how to be successful on the job. You do this, I'm going to tell you about success. The God of heaven is going to be glorified and you're going to be promoted. Right. You say, but what if, my, what if my boss doesn't really care and doesn't promote me? You're forgetting something. Your boss reports to the God of heaven. Right. And promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the south, nor from the west, but from the Lord. Amen. So quit talking like that. Why are you such a skeptic and a scorner sitting in our assembly? Believe these verses. I believe them. I wish I was a... Anybody in here wish they were a young man again to go back and prove to our young boys what can happen when you put this into practice? It's easy, isn't it? I remember when I was 19 years old, and a man said, "If if you would put the Word of God into practice, young man, especially the book of Proverbs, success is like a piece of fruit hanging on a tree. Just walk up and pick it and eat it. And it's that simple. It's because you compromise these things that slow your career development down. Not answering again. Not purloining. No small thefts. Small, that's what purloining means. No small thefts. Not taking home a box of pencils because you want to give it to your children so you don't even stop at Staples on the way home and get a box of pencils. 
not using the copy machine to copy your student's theme paper for school because you didn't want to pay the nickel that it's going to cost you at Staples. Not purloining. Not cheating on time. Not cheating on drinks because you went into the, where the canteen, the, the closet where the canteen stack stocked from and took home, took some beverages out of there. Nothing like that. I'm talking about small thefts. Surfing the internet while you're at work. Talking on the phone while you're at work in personal conversations. Every one of those ought to be severely limited. You say you're too strict. No, I'm not. Not purloining. It's from the mouth of God. It's not from me. It's from the mouth of God. Do you know how much time is wasting the job nowadays talking about sports, movies, surfing the internet, talking on the telephone and text messaging us someone else that's not working there? Half a day. Do you know if a man didn't do that but applied himself well, what would happen to him? Oh, it's so easy, guys. Come on. I can't make myself young again. And the other men in this church that wish they could can't do it. We want to do it through you. We want you to be better than us. Outstrip us. Practice Titus 2.10. Not purloining. That's what the word means. Small thefts. Petty thefts. But, as opposed to that, showing all good fidelity. Having such integrity and such honesty that your master would trust you with anything because he knows you are going to treat it at least as well as he does or better. This is to work with the mentality of an owner. Instead of an employee. If you work with the mentality of an employee, which means I get paid for my time, therefore, my two biggest tasks in life are to punch in and to punch out. That's what the average worker thinks today. I've made it to work. Boom. And he punches in. I've made it. Oh, where's the coffee? I'm so tired this morning. He's saying that, and he's, oh, listen, I ran a business before, and I've worked at a bank where there were men in their fine, fine suits that behaved the very same way. They punched in. They didn't have to punch in because they were salary, but you know what I mean. They punched in. I'm so tired. Where's the coffee? I need to wake up. Why didn't they drink their coffee on the way to work so that when they got there and when they heard the cha-ching of the time card going in, they were like on drugs, ready to go to work for their master. What can I do? What can I get into? Nobody's going to like you. I promise you that if you do it before 10 o'clock. No one's going to like you, but do it anyway. Because it says, but showing all good fidelity. All faithfulness on the job. No cheating on the time clock. No cheating anywhere. And look what it says an, an employee can do. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I want to be a doctrinal preacher. But I want to preach the doctrine that I'm told to preach in the Bible. And the way I'm told to preach it, this is adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. Because the doctrine of God our Savior is that when we go to a job, we work as unto Him from the heart. And not with eye service as men pleasers, but with zeal for the Lord. You want to bring glory to God? It tells you right here. You can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior by the way you work. Lord, forgive me for not being better. Look at that. Young women, you can protect the word of God from being blasphemed by being doting, loving wives and mothers, being discreet and chaste, keeping up a great house, clean, orderly, looking like a million bucks. You can protect the word of God from being blasphemed. Last clause of verse 5. 
when you guys, when you guys and, and girls go to work tomorrow, you can adorn the doctrine of God your Savior in all things. You, listen to the, you can adorn the doctrine of God your Savior in all things. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God of heaven, and His glorious doctrine, you can beautify it in every aspect by being a great employee. Is that incredible language in the Bible? What does the Bible say if you have a believing master? What if someone in here works for someone else in here? Does the Bible say you get to let down your guard? Or does it say you ought to be even better? What verse is it? What book? What testament? What Bible? King James Bible, New Testament, 1 Timothy 6, 2. Verse 1 is for an unbelieving boss. Verse 2 is for a believing boss. And then it it goes on to say, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Do you know what it's talking about here? The gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God hath appeared to all kinds of men. Servants, aged men, aged women, young men, young women. Teaching us that. See, it's the gospel. It teaches us something. Teaching us that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's sound doctrine. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We should be, talk, we should be talking about the King is coming. Right. And it should affect our lives. Who gave Himself for us. Jesus died for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity. All the iniquities that I've mentioned in this context. And purify unto Himself a peculiar people. His special people. And what are they like? Zealous of good works. They're zealous of the good things that I've just listed to you. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Chapter 3 and verse 8 says this. This is a faithful saying, and these things... Look at the, look at the emphasis. Boom, boom, boom. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. I'm told what to preach, how to preach it, when to preach it, all the time. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I am preaching things that are good and profitable for you. I am preaching things that bring glory to God. Shut the mouths of gainsayers. Adorn the doctrine. Protect it from those that would blaspheme it. Praise the Lord there are so many blessings here in these things. Amen. And they can be expanded and expanded and expanded. It could take me weeks and weeks to go through these. And apply them to all the different parts of your life that they could fit and do fit. Brethren, the concept that we have before us is this. Actions speak louder than words, so our actions must prove and must promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actions are louder than words. So every day, are you showing the religion of Jesus Christ? Are you proving it? The Bible rule is that even a child is known by his doings. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 11. Not by his speaking, but by his doing. What do you do? It's not what you say that counts. It's what you do that counts. It's been well said, and I've said this to you before, and it wasn't too long ago. The only Bible that some people will read is your life. It's the only Bible they're going to read. What does that Bible teach? Christians should be the happiest people on earth. Christians should be the most diligent workers on earth. Mm -hmm. Christians should be the most thankful people on earth. 
Christians should be the greatest peacemakers in every situation on earth. Christians should be the most respectful. Christians should never complain. Christians should be the most gentle. Christians should be the most generous. All the things the Bible teaches, Christians should be the most. You are watched all the time. At home, by your spouse. At home, by your children. At home, by your siblings. At home, by your parents. You're watched all the time. You're watched at work. As soon as they know you're a Christian, they watch you three times as much. You're watched at church. We watch each other. We can provoke each other to righteousness or we can promote hypocrisy. At play, at shopping, with the neighbor, you're watched all the time. We can glorify God by our lives, promoting Him and His Word. Brethren, God has staked His reputation partially on your life. Do you know that? Do you understand that from the Bible? How do you think the name of God can be blasphemed by your life? Because He has staked part of His reputation on your life. Matthew chapter 5 says to love your enemies so that you can look like Him and ye can be the children of your Father which is in heaven. I'm telling you, it takes a work of grace for a man to love his enemies. You know, a man may throw himself on a hand grenade when it's about to blow up his buddy that he went through basic training with. But you haven't read about very many men who run across the line and throw themselves on a hand grenade that's about to blow up the enemy. So loving your enemies shows that you're a child of God and you bring glory to God. He has staked part of His reputation on His children in this world. And He wants us to live in such a way that men will glorify our Father which is in heaven. Do you hear me how important this subject is? We have taken the name of Jesus Christ in several senses and we better live up to it for His sake. Right. By the lives of most Christians... By the lives of most Christians, who would want to be a Christian? Some of you sad sacks that walk around with your frowning face because life is so terrible, you make me sick. And you make the God of heaven sick. These things I'm supposed to exhort and teach and rebuke with all authority. You make me sick. I want to puke. When I think about your children have to grow up with your sad faces wandering around the house, sitting in a corner, you little brats, you're going to answer to the God of heaven as to why you aren't happy every day of your life. Christians ought to be the happiest people on earth. There is nothing that should be able to make you unhappy. Nothing that can take away all the blessings that God has given us in heaven and in earth. I can promise some of you, you have never... You have never been asked about your religion by your life, and you never will be asked about your religion by your life, because you're sick. You moan, you groan, you complain, you whine, you're unhappy. There's no bounce in your step. Let me tell you something. The Bible says if you have a merry heart, you have a shining countenance. You can tell me, I don't know your heart. I absolutely do know your heart, and it stinks. It's black. It's polluted. It's profane. And I've been there myself, and I'll tell you what I tell my children. God help me, I'll keep the spirit of Judas Iscariot out of this house. Amen. 
It affects all of us. Yes, I have to preach at you, but I'm telling you, I'm preaching at me too. How in the world do we think our children should want to be Christians when the example of the zeal and happiness and marriage and love and peace that they see in their parents stinks? If they ever hear you whining in the house, you have no right to let down your guard when you go home. There is no time in your life to let down your guard. We're going to sing in about, in a few minutes, my soul be on thy guard. You don't have an opportunity to let down your guard. We've got to keep our guard up at all times. Did we, did we get into your bedroom in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20? Did we get into your bedroom? Amen. That you're not supposed to curse the king even in your thought, and you're not supposed to curse the rich even in your bedchamber. The Lord's in control of your bedchamber. Right. Does the Lord know when you're defrauding your spouse? Does the Lord know when you go to sleep bitter against your spouse? He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. But you know, I'm ta- well, I'm not really even talking about that today. What I'm talking about is that if you do that, your children perceive it, your children sense it, your children know it, your children can see it, and the older they get, and why in the world should they want your religion? You unhappy, depressed, whining, complaining, misfit wretches, get happy. Enthusiasm sells. Right. Commitment sells. I remember when I was hired at Michigan National Bank of Detroit for the first time from Ann Arbor Bank and Trust. I remember they looked at my application resume and they said, you're underqualified, but we're hiring you anyway because we've never met a person as long as we've existed that was as enthusiastic as you are. I needed enthusiasm because I sure didn't have a resume. And if you looked at my school record, you'd have shot me, not sent me out the door. I was the greatest underachiever they ever saw. Flunking reading for pleasure? How does that look on a transcript? Reading for pleasure. F. I needed enth- All that is to say this. Enthusiasm sells. Was the Apostle Paul enthusiastic? Yes. Commitment sells. Was the Apostle Paul committed? Yes. Wow. They glorified God in me. All they did was hear about my reputation and they glorified God in me. Galatians 1.24. Did you enjoy reading that? I enjoyed hearing it. Most of you, I mean, no, I didn't mean that. Some of you, all of us can do better. Some of you need to totally change your life. You need a frontal lobotomy. You need to ask God the Holy Spirit to open up your scalp and take out your brain and give you a new one. You need God the Holy Spirit to take out your heart and give you a real one. You're so unhappy, you're so miserable, you mope and moan and groan about things. All your thoughts are worthless trite from the devil. There's never been one from the Holy Spirit that leads you to that kind of garbage. The thoughts of God are thoughts of joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, righteousness, goodness, so many more things. Lord, help us. By the lives of most Christians, who would want to be a Christian? Especially a Bible Christian. We're asking them to deny themselves and take up a pretty severe cross to be a Bible Christian. But are we showing them zeal and excitement and pleasure in doing it? I thank God I had two parents. That those two parents may not have known 
all the truth that they profess and believe today. But there is one thing they did have, and you all know it. They had enthusiasm and love and commitment for the Lord Jesus Christ like hardly any two people you have ever met, and I am very blessed to have had them, and that makes my sins as a young man greater than anything you could ever sin, because I sinned against such privilege and knowledge. But my point is, their enthusiasm and commitment sold. It has always chased me through my life. Because my two parents served the Lord better than I have. I love your commitment and enthusiasm. It's never waned. If you knew knows it waned inside, it sure didn't wane on the outside. And I have a witness in here. I thank God for that. But do you know what? Forget all that. I don't like using illustrations. What kind of a parent are you going to be? Right. And every one of my children sitting here, forgive me for any time I let you down by not living what is becoming sound doctrine. I repent of it every day of my life. I hate everything I ever did that was not according to sound doctrine because I'm telling you the truth right now and right now you have to listen to what I'm saying and not what I did at times in my life. I tell you the sweet message and the truth of God's Word. It'll bring glory to God. That's my greatest ambition. It'll defend His Word. It'll give you peace and happiness in your life. Every time I strayed from God's Word, it brought me misery, and I'm sorry for every negative effect that it's had on your lives. It doesn't hurt me one bit when I hear you say, I want to grow up and be a Christian like Grandpa. It doesn't hurt me a bit. I want you to grow up and be Christians like your Grandpa. But in the years I have left, in the years that all of you have left, are you with me? Can we play the men for our cities and for the, of our God? I want to do the best that we possibly can and do those things that become sound doctrine. Everything. Everything. Wife, life's taking a, a better look right now. Okay? Are you all committed to be the perfect spouse? And cut your selfish little whining antics, you devil. You married somebody and ruined their life because you wanted to ruin yours by being a depressed fool. You devil. When someone gives their life to us in marriage, we better treat it very carefully. And with lots of love. Your life can glorify God, it can adorn the truth, it can convert others, it can silence gainsayers, it can provoke saints. And it can make you happy. What's the downside? May the Lord bless us. You're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men. I'm only angry at sin. I love every one of you. I want you to have the conviction I have from this passage. These words have pounded me for a couple of weeks. But the things... That become, but speak thou the things that become sound doctrine. We can do so much. We can bring glory to God. When others see our lives and know that we're Christians, we'll come back and we'll go as far as we can. Listen, brethren, it is so practical. Do you know what happens when you bow your head in a restaurant? When you bow your head in a restaurant, you tell the staff that you're a Christian. That means from that moment and the moments that preceded the prayer, The way you treated that staff and the way you tip is a reflection on Jesus Christ. I'm going to get right down to tipping. And if you're a tightwad when you tip, 
I hope the Lord's a tightwad with you when you stand at the great white throne judgment. You do not get ahead by cheating servants that are waiting on you at a table. If you think that's how you get ahead, your brain is smaller than a pea. The God of heaven sees that. Those are servants waiting on you. They're going to wash your dishes. They're picking up after you. And they're listening to the bitchy way that you place an order. They deserve a big tip. And there shouldn't be a bitchy way we place an order. We should be kind and try to put a smile on their face. We're going to... Listen, if the Lord will bless us, let's think about every part of our lives. You know, we bow our heads and pray because we want to glorify God for giving us our food. And then we disgrace Him by the way we speak to the staff, get impatient, are picky with what they deliver to us, and don't tip very well. Let's take a deep breath and get excited about all the ways that we can glorify God when we walk out of here and while we're in here. Right now we're going to go eat and have some fellowship together. But the way that we talk to each other and the things that we talk about, whether we're gracious and whether we're spiritually profitable, we can do the things right in this room to promote love and good works among one another because our lives are more important than what we sing and say. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Number 126 in the Burgundy, please.